Joel chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. The word of the Lord that came to Joel, the son of Pethuel. Hear this, you elders, and give ear, all you inhabitants of the land. Has anything like this happened in your days? Has anything like this happened in your days? Or even in the days of your father? I want to take my text from that passage there. Has anything like this happened in your days. Joel chapter 2, turn right over, verse 1. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming, for it is at hand. A day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, like the morning clouds spread over the mountains. A people come great and strong, the like of whom has never been nor will there ever be any such after them, even after many successive generations. This small book consists of three chapters. It's packed full of revelation and power. It's found in the section of books known as the Minor Prophets. Not Minor Prophets in importance, but simply that their books were shorter than the five major prophets that wrote. Their five major prophetic books and then their twelve what we call Minor Prophets. The prophet looks down to the ages and sees our day, and he speaks prophetically to us of a last day's outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We are currently moving from Passover to the biblical feast of Pentecost. It commemorates the giving of the law at Mount Sinai and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Listen to the words of the Apostle Peter in Acts chapter 2, verse 16 through 21. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. It shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Joel is a mysterious book. The author of this book is a man who's named Joel. And in Joel 1, 1, we learn simply that he's the son of Pethuel. The name Joel means Yahweh is God. Nothing's known about him. Nothing's known about his life circumstances. The only thing we know is that he was mightily used of God. Now, some scholars believe that the book was probably written around 835 to 805 B.C. It's difficult to date the book because there's no mention of a king or a time. Although there are references in both Amos and Isaiah that are familiar that are also in Joel. Joel is an end time book. It looked forward to the last days and it speaks often about the day of the Lord. The theme of this great book is the judgment and the grace of God. The judgment and the grace of God. They go hand in hand by the way. There's always judgment, but at judgment, there's always grace. Judgment is tempered in mercy, and judgment is redemptive in its purposes. One of the key phrases is the great and terrible day of the Lord. I believe the words of this prophet, written nearly 3,000 years ago, are very relevant for the day we live in. How many of you believe that God's word is relevant, fresh, and anointed even for today? Say amen. Prophecies from the Old Testament are even still being fulfilled even in our time today. 
Many of the very words of Joel are being fulfilled in our time. For he prophesied that in the last days I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. I'm amazed at how the prophets of old wrote the headlines of our day with an uncanny accuracy. Over the years, I've watched many be fascinated with prophecies of people like Nostradamus. Many of you have probably seen that on the History Channel or you've heard about his prophecies. And many will probably never come to pass. But today, I'm not fascinated with the psychics. I'm not fascinated with Nostradamus. I'm fascinated today in the only book that has a 100% rate of accuracy. It's never failed and it never will. It's called the Holy Bible, the Word of God, the Scriptures, the, the precepts. It will never, ever fail. In Psalms 119, verse 89, forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. In Matthew 24, 35, we have the words of Jesus, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. This morning, I want to speak to you for a few moments about this mysterious prophet. I want to talk about this mysterious prophet. What was he like? We learn in the study of the small New Testament book of James that these great prophets were men who struggled with the same struggles that we struggle with. He, he says it this way, they were subject to like passions as we are. They had their ups and their downs. They had their discouraging and depressing moments. But then they also faced temptation the way that we face temptation. How many of you ever feel discouraged? How many of you ever have to battle with depression? These men found themselves, I believe, in the same places we find ourselves in today. And I want to take this prophet and three things and share with you about how we can overcome these things today. Just as these holy men of God were moved on by the Holy Spirit, we can be moved on by the Holy Spirit. First of all, I want you to know he was a discouraged man. He prophesied at a time of great devastation to the entire land of Judah. He lived in very difficult times. How many of you know we're living in difficult times? The Apostle Paul defines our day in 2 Timothy 3.1. He says these will be great days of perilous times or difficult, dangerous times. He said, know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. Joel had witnessed an, uh, an enormous plague of locusts. The locusts had destroyed the countryside. They had eaten the vegetation, destroyed the pastures of both sheep and cattle, and even stripped the bark off the fig trees. What was once a beautiful, bountiful land had now become a place of desolation and destruction in just a few hours. When I was at Holmes College of the Bible, Dr. Kenneth Benson was our, our Old Testament instructor, and he told us of his experiences with locusts plagues in his native land of South Africa. He said in just a few hours, the field would be completely covered and left desolate. We have contemporary reports of the destructive power of swarms of locusts, and they corroborate Joel's picture of the plague in his time. Earlier this year, the headlines read, skies darken as a devastating swarm of locusts invade Saudi Arabian city by the millions. And they devastate Everywhere they go, you can have a beautiful, green, lush pasture. And by the time these locust plague move through there, it's nothing but barrenness and desolation. That's what Joel is encountering, and that's the time that he's prophesying in. This plague destroyed the economy and brought with it a drought and famine. And the plague that Joel describes in the first chapters of his book destroyed the crops and even the seed crops for the next planting. This plague reduced the land that flows with milk and honey to a land of death. Both people and cattle were perishing. So Joel describes a depressing, discouraging picture of death and destruction. 
How many times have we witnessed the same atrocities on the evening news? Hurricanes in the Caribbean, cyclones in Africa, drought, famine, disease, wars, rumors of wars in the Middle East. Like Israel of old, we expect those things to happen somewhere else. And I believe we may even become hardened and callous to what we hear and see until it happens to us. Joel describes total destruction. In Joel chapter 1 verse 4, he describes four separate waves of locusts that attacked Israel. He says, what the chewing locusts left, the swarming locusts has eaten. What the swarming locusts left, the crawling locusts has eaten. And what the crawling locusts left, the consuming locusts has eaten. King James Version defines these as the palmer worm, locust, canker worm, and the caterpillar. Each one of these ate what the other had left until the land is totally barren. This represents the way that the enemy works. He destroys. John 10.10 says the thief comes but for to kill, steal, and to destroy. In Revelation 9.11, the apostle John identifies him as Apollyon. That word means destroyer. He's the destroyer. Joel declares that this plague is more than just a freak of nature. He concludes that this plague is the judgment of God upon a rebellious people who have forsaken the covenant of God. And in Joel chapter 1 verse 2, he asks this question. Hear this, you elders. Give ear, all you inhabitants of the land. Has anything like this happened in your days or even in the days of your father? Has anything like this happened in your days or even in the days of your fathers. This question is addressed to the elders and the leaders of Israel. It's designed to show that this is no mere natural happening or calamity, but it is in fact a judgment from God. This is the reason we have a discouraged prophet. He's given a task of preaching this difficult message to Judah. He understood the times that he's living in. And we need to have an understanding of the times in which we're living in. But we must be careful not to allow the sin and the evil that reigns in our world to get us down or discourage us. The evening news will discourage you. Facebook will discourage you. The bad news and the evils of our day will defeat you. But I've come today with an encouraging word for you today. Instead of watching and repeating the bad news, our Lord extends an invitation for you to read and study the good news. And I don't know why it's so hard to get Pentecostals to get engaged with the Word of God because it's the very life source that will encourage you and bless you and give you faith and sustain you in the storm. And somehow we put it on the shelf and neglect it and don't even think about it. But I've come by to stir up your pure mind to remembrance and tell you it's time to get back to God's holy Word, get in the pages of the Word, and let the pages of the Word get down on the inside of you so you can be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Good news is found in the words of Jesus in John 16. 33 these things I've spoken to you that in me you may have peace in the world you will have tribulation but be a good chair I've overcome the world Joel became affected by the present I want you to think about that statement Joel became affected by the present I've often wondered how many of these prophets and what they had what must have really felt when they had to announce God's judgment upon the land and I've often wondered how they felt man you got to stand up and say judgment's coming that's not a happy message that won't get you on television. I've often wondered that. I've often wondered what they really felt when they had to announce God's judgment on the land. I believe a true prophet will deliver his message in fear and trembling. Jeremiah was called the weeping prophet. Man, he didn't stand up there and announce judgment and act like he's happy about it. He wept. Why did he weep? Because he preached and prophesied to a sinful and rebellious people who refused to hear God's voice. Those who announce a coming judgment and seem to be happy about it, they've always troubled me. 
Why aren't we weeping between the porch and the altar? Why aren't we crying out to God for the lost? Why aren't we burdened for people who are going to hell? Why are we so consumed with ourselves and so selfish about who's going to touch me and who's going to bless me and who's going to help me when there are people who are lost and dying and going to hell every single day? And listen, we, we the only thing that can stand between them and the gates of hell. We're called to rescue the perishing. He refused to allow discouragement to defeat him. We have to take that attitude into our spiritual battles. There'll be times when the enemy fights against us with discouragement. We must use the difficult circumstances coming against us as a motivation to pray and to seek the face of God until he gives us victory. Our problems are not problems in the eyes of faith. Our problems are not problems in the eyes of faith. Amen? They're opportunities for God's delivering power. Joel allowed his problems to become opportunities for victories. Our God longs to show himself powerful on behalf of his children, but he awaits our call. Jeremiah 33, 3, call to me and I'll answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. He was a discouraged man, but secondly, he became a desperate man. Joel chapter 2, verse 12 and 13, Joel announces the remedy for Judah's problems. Now therefore says the Lord, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and with mourning. Rend your heart, not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he's gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and he relents from doing harm. Joel spoke to Judah in desperation. He was desperate for God's intervention, and we must be desperate for God's intervention in our life today. When will God intervene into our problems? When will God give us the breakthrough that we desire? When will God move in the lives of our family? And when will God touch the family members who are lost and in trouble? God will move when we get desperate for him. Joel called a solemn assembly. He called a fast. He summoned the priests, the Levites, the elders, and even the children to fast and seek God. Look at Joel chapter 2, verse 15 through 17. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Consecrate a fast. Call a sacred assembly. Assembly, gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children and nursing babies. Let the bridegroom go out from his chamber and the bride from her dressing room. Let the priest who minister to the Lord weep between the porch and the altar. Let them say, spare your people, O Lord, and do not give your heritage to reproach, that the nations should rule over them. Why should they say among the people, where is their God? We need to find a place between the porch and the altar. The porch and the altar were the porch of the temple and the altar of incense. It's the place that put the priest directly in front of the door to the most holy place where the presence of the Lord was enthroned. We need to wet these altars with hot tears again. In desperation for God. When will we see revival in Greenwood County? When we weep in desperation between the porch and the altar. When we stand in the place before the holy place, the place of the priest, and we represent our city and our nation before the throne of God, that's when we'll see revival. It's time to pray. It's time to cry out to God. You'll note that the priests were called to intercede for the nation. They were the mediators who represented the people to God. We're New Testament priests, and we have responsibility to cry out, spare your people, O Lord, and do not give your heritage to reproach. Do you believe the Lord wants Greenwood to be saved? Then why not become desperate for him? Have we lost our spiritual hunger? Blessed are they that hunger and thirst, Matthew 5, 6 says, for they shall be filled. I believe God's raising up a radical group of believers who are going to become desperate for him. They're going to forsake all to follow him. 
They're going to eat, drink, breathe, and sleep only with one goal in mind. We must have him. We must have his presence. We're not going to seek his blessings. We're going to seek after him. We're going to see him like we've never seen him before. We're going to have a great understanding of his heart and his mind, and we're going to seek to know him. How many of you will become desperate for him and cry out the way that Joel commanded the priests and the nations of Judah, spare your people, O Lord, spare your people, O Lord. In 1 Samuel 1, Hannah became desperate about her barren condition, and God gave her a son who later became a judge of Israel. As she prayed, Eli, the old corrupt, backslidden priest, he once knew the glory of God, but no longer did he know the glory of God. He wouldn't even rebuke his own two adulterous sons who would commit adultery at the very door of the tabernacle and brought a reproach on the name of the Lord and brought a reproach on the name of worship and the worship of God. And he comes and he rebukes this little lady and he accuses her of being drunk. She's not drunk, she's desperate. She's crying out to God. She's travailing out of her innermost being. She's saying, oh God, break the barrenness that's in my life. Oh God, break off the reproach that's on my life because I don't have any children. And if you give me a child, I'll give him back to you. And Samuel, the Bible said, not one word of his prophecies ever fell to the ground. Oh, I want to tell you this morning, she cried out to God and those who were around her who were in organized religion, they didn't recognize the glory of God. But I've come to tell you, God heard her prayer and God heard her cry. Those who are bound by a religious spirit may not recognize the desperation that's in our hearts. But I've come to tell you, it doesn't matter what the world thinks. What matters is that I have an audience with Father God in heaven, that I have an appointment in the throne room and that the glory of God can come on because somebody got desperate and cried out to God in prayer need to seek the Lord until the world accuses us of being drunk. You let, let them have a party and folks get drunk. Everybody will laugh and think they was the life of the party. Peter rising up with the 11 in Acts 2 said, These are not drunk as you suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But these have had a taste of the new wine of heaven. Glory. I'm praying that some of you get inebriated by the Holy Ghost. God will move into dynamic power when we get desperate for him. So he was a discouraged man. He was a desperate man, but notice last, he was a determined man. He had a difficult task. He had to announce God's judgment to the people of Judah. He had the task of calling a solemn assembly and a nationwide fast in order to repent of their sins and turn away the judgment of God. The book of Joel describes a terrible plague and declares God's judgment, but it also outlines a beautiful future. It foretells an outpouring of God's spirit unparalleled in the past. And we're living in the days that Joel foretold some 3,000 years ago. He was a determined man because he received a glimpse into the future. I want to tell you today, our future is bright in Jesus. Our future is bright in the Lord. The glory of the latter house is going to be greater than the glory of the former house. Joel lived in a difficult time, times of hardship and famine. We live in difficult times. But like Joel, we must determine in our hearts that we're going to see the plan of God fulfilled in our lives. This book begins with judgment, but it ends with a promise of total restoration. God will restore what the locusts have destroyed in our life. Listen to what he says in Joel chapter 3, verse 13 and 14. Put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Now, wait a minute. They've destroyed all the vegetation. I mean, they've come and obliterated all the vegetation. The harvest is ripe. And if you read that little three-chapter book, and I pray that many of you did, you'll find out that it affected every part of their economy. The seed's gone. The crops are gone. The flocks are infected and dying, but yet he says, put in the sickle. Come go down for the wine press is full. 
The vats overflow for their wickedness is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. It's a different kind of harvest. What is God saying? He's saying in the midst of judgment, in the midst of wickedness, in the midst of when iniquity becomes full, I'm still reaching out in grace. I'm still reaching out in mercy. I'm still reaching out in love. Listen, when we give up, God never gives up. When we say it's over, God says, no, it's not over because my grace is sufficient and where sin does abound, grace does much more abound. Joel chapter 2, verse 28 and 29, listen to what it says. It shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons, your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also upon my servants and upon the handmaidens. In that, those days I will pour out my spirit. He saw a bright future. Sometimes we can't see our future bright. We can only deceive the despair and the discouragement of this moment. But I got news for you. God's already been in your future. God's already on your path. See, he's ahead of you. God's not constrained and bound by time. God reigns above time, and he's already gone out to the end, planned the end, and come back and then created the beginning. He said, I'm the first, the last, the beginning, and the end, the end, and the beginning, and everything in between. He's God. And listen, if you know the Lord today, I don't know what's going to happen in this world. I don't know all that's going to happen in this nation. I don't know all that's going to happen in the future, but here's what I know. I know who holds my future in his hand. His name is Jesus. Hallelujah. And he's able to bring me through whatever the enemy will bring my way. No matter what happens, God is good. No matter what happens, our future is bright. Let me close with this scripture, Isaiah 43, 2. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flames scorch you. We have a future in the Lord. If you live for the Lord long enough, you're going to suffer persecution. You're going to suffer some tribulation. You're going to walk through some hard places. You're going to encounter some trials and storms of life. It's the nature of the life we live in. Jesus said, marvel not if the world hates you because it hated me, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And then if you go over into 1 John, he says this, we overcome the world, even our faith. By faith, we overcome what the world, the flesh, and the devil throw at us. I don't know what my tomorrow holds. I don't know that the phone may ring and it may be good news or bad news, but here's what I know. I know who holds my tomorrows in their hands. How about you today? Stand with me.